Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So let me just start by wishing you a happy anniversary. Aw, thank you. Not not our wedding anniversary. No, of course not. This is actually the anniversary of a very special date in Kat's life. It's a very special blossom. Um, yes, it's 11 years. Oh, well, it's not today, but this week was uh, 11 years ago. I was able to donate my peripheral blood stem cells. So that's amazing. Yeah, you uh, you you registered in the bone marrow. Uh, What's it called? Registry. Registry. Yep. <laughs> and uh, you got a call and you went down to, was it Dana-Farber? Uh, in Boston, correct. Yes, and and you donated your your stem cells, mm-hmm. which I assume helped save somebody's life. Yeah. So uh, it was the bone marrow registry, and I did the swabby thing, and I sent it in, and it was like six six weeks later mm-hmm. that I got a call that I was a potential six match. Six weeks. I mean, it was nuts how fast it was. I know people that, that registered like 20 years ago and have not been called. I was very fortunate and the timing was out uh, just amazing. I was so lucky that I registered when I did because I was a potential match and I went down and I had the, uh, the they have to do some tests just to make sure that you're healthy enough to donate. Mm-hmm. And I did that. And then uh, it was decided that I would be the the one to donate. And then they asked if I wanted to be part of a, uh, not experimental, but they were, I guess it's experimental, uh, (laughs) where they would do the peripheral blood stem cell donation instead of the bone marrow donation. So uh, instead of like going into my bones and scraping out, mm-hmm. um, they gave me medicine that pushed my white blood cells out of my bones. And then they just um, went through and siphoned all of all of them out. So like they took all my blood out. That's fascinating. Scooped out the good stuff. And gross. And, uh, and then put it back in me. Um, it took two days. 
And I watched a lot of movies during that time. (laughs) The process itself was painless. I mean, it was just, you know, you're just sitting in a bed and blood's coming out of you. It's no big deal. (laughs) Happens all the time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Like the the drugs that I was on, was it was a little uncomfortable because your bones are working real hard to push that stuff out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But other than that, I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, a guy who had uh, acute lymphoblastic lymphoma he was able to live. That, I mean, really I, I had to watch a couple movies <laughs> and he didn't die. Yeah. So, and, I mean, the trade-off's and, okay. And I, while you were gone, I filled your fridge with tulips. You did. Yes. That was before we were like really a thing. Mm, yeah. And you were just really thoughtful and sweet. And I was feeding your animals and, <laughs> um, and I, and, and I filled your fridge with yellow tulips and I don't mean just a dozen. I filled the fridge. <laughs> and the other day cat goes, you don't fill my fridge with tulips anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you haven't donated bone marrow lately either. So we're even. Oh, wow. I guess that's what it takes. <laughs> anyway. So anyway, thank you. Yeah, congratulations. And please, if you if you can, register. It's It takes no time at all. Be the match.org. You can sign up. They'll send you the kit. You just, ah, and then you send it back and you're in. You may never have to donate. If they choose you, if they say you're the you're the guy, you still don't have to donate. Like it's it's totally up to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it could very well save someone's life. Anyway, what you got for me? Okay. Um. Thanks for letting me rant about that. Proud uh, of you. That's great. Well, it's not no, gross. Yeah. Whatever. No, Just, it's not. Yeah. Okay. On July fourteenth, nineteen eighty-eight, the Lee County Sheriff's Office investigated a report of car damage overnight while parked at a home in the area of Browntown, South Carolina. It's right outside Bishopville. Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> I don't know. In my in my mind, my mind just went, We're going to Brown Town, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> if you get my drift, if I'm not being too subtle. On this episode of the Box of Oddities, butt stuff. <laughs> no. So <laughs> it's a very though, special episode. Though this is happening on the outskirts of a swamp. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> All right. Well, let's just see where it goes. Carry on. So on the edges of the scape or swamp, uh, the car had reportedly had tooth marks and scratches all over it with hair and muddy footprints left behind. Oh, my God. So this prompted other people to call into the police and report that they had had damage to their car as well. One of those people, 17-year-old local Christopher Davis, spoke to Sheriff Liston Truesdale and told him about what happened to him that night. Davis described the damage to his vehicle and who done it. He described the creature as green, wet-like, about seven feet tall, and had three fingers, red eyes, and skin like a lizard. Okay. According to Davis, he was driving home from working the night shift at a fast food restaurant when his car got a flat tire. So after fixing it, he was finishing up. He was going back around to his car door when he saw this creature coming toward him. 
He said that the creature tried to grab at the car and then jumped on his roof as he tried to escape. The creature was reportedly clinging to it as Davis swerved from side to side in an effort to throw it off. All right, I have a theory already. Okay. This is our interstellar reptilian overlord. <laughs> See, in my the- head, I'm going, mm, hobo. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. No, pretty sure they're from the serious star group. Oh, yeah. Unlike the casual star group. Uh, he was able uh, eventually to slam on the brakes so that the creature came off of the, his hood and then he tootled his ass home. Uh, the side view mirror was found to be pretty da- badly damaged and there were scratch marks on the roof of his car. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of other physical evidence to the encounter. No, no organic material. That's right. Man, he should have just uh, run over the thing, thrown it in his trunk. What? You don't know what it is. Well, it's one way to find out. That's run over terrible. It. That's why we don't know what Bigfoot is, because nobody has the balls to shoot one. Would you stop that? What? No. What are you so upset? You if don't even believe. If you're not 100% sure what something is, you do not kill it. I get that. But if you're, no, 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 if no. you're standing next to a nine foot Mm-mm. hairy, smelly ape. You don't know what it is. Do not kill it. I don't know why you're so upset. You don't even believe in Bigfoot. I'm I'm suggesting that maybe somebody should shoot a uh, fictitious creature in Listen. your world. Don't shoot Bigfoot. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Don't don't shoot Bigfoot. Lizards, on the other hand, run over all those little fuckers. <laughs> don't say that either, because there are so many lizards. <laughs> all right. I'm clearly just saying that for shock value. Please Stop. don't kill anything. Thank you. Davis reported that while this creature was trying to get into his vehicle, he could see him from the neck down. He had three big fingers, long black nails, and very rough green skin. He was. This was kind of a humanoid. Yeah. Shape. Okay. He said it was strong and angry. I looked in my mirror and I saw a blur of green running. I could see his toes. He jumped on the roof of my car. I thought I heard a grunt and then I could see the fingers through the front windshield. They curled around the roof. I sped up and I swerved to shake the creature off. Now, this is according to Cryptid Wiki. In the following weeks, there were several reports of large lizard-like creatures and of unusual scratches and bite marks found on cars parked close to the swamp. Most of those are said to have occurred within a three-mile radius of the swamps of Bishopville. So, of course, these stories spread pretty quickly. When people say that there's a giant lizard man attacking their cars, Mm -hmm. uh, local businesses (laughs) began selling lizard man (laughs) t-shirts. Of course. Uh, The increase in newspaper and media publicity prompted further reports of sightings, and the area soon became a tourist attraction uh, for both people who were just curious and people who thought that they were the ones who were going to capture this lizard man. There was even a local radio station who offered a $1 million reward to anyone who could capture the creature alive. Uh I did that once with Elvis. Oh, you did? Yeah, when I was doing, I did a morning show in Tucson, Arizona years ago. And um, that was when the whole Elvis is still alive fad was really at its peak. Mm -hmm. And so the company I worked for agreed to put $1 million in escrow. Wow. But you had to bring Elvis to the radio station, which is a publicity stunt, obviously. Obviously. Did he have to be alive? (laughs) Yes. Because? Yes. We specifically said you had to deliver him alive (laughs) to the radio station. And I hope willingly. That was 
I guess to be determined, but right? uh, yeah, you, you weren't, you weren't like, you can't kidnap Elvis. You, I, 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 I'm pretty sure the attorneys probably covered that, but I don't recall. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. All I know is we got a lot of TV, and that's all it was was important to us. Sure, at the time, at the time. <laughs> Plus, I had really big hair back then. Right, so you needed to have a lot of TV to cover all that hair. Yeah, it was, it was actually uh, that's why they invented widescreens. Then. The 16-9 aspect ratio. That makes sense. Is there a ratio that is shorter in the front and longer in the back? Yeah, it's the mullet ratio. (laughs) But it was more than just a mullet. No, it was permed. It was permed. It was a permed mullet. It looked like something that you would buy to decorate your toilet. (laughs) Like uh, some sort of feature to make the toilet's <laughs> hard edges softer yeah 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 that's that's very accurate i remember <laughs> i was at McHale center at the university of arizona watching a wildcats basketball game oh we are wild about the cats in this household let me tell you wild about the cats there were youtube it there <laughs> there were about eleven thousand people there and uh, the guy behind me taps me on my shoulder and says, excuse me, sir, would you ask your hair to sit down, please? <laughs> Who's that guy? I want to spend time with that man. <laughs> so it's August 5th, and Kenneth Orr is an airman. He's stationed at Shaw Air Force Base, and he filed a police report alleging that he had encountered the lizard man on Highway 15, not just encountering it, but shooting at it, and he claimed he had wounded it. He presented several scales and a small quantity of blood as evidence. Two days later, Orr recanted that account uh, because he was arraigned for unlawfully carrying a pistol and the misdemeanor offense of filing a false police report. Hmm. Uh, according to Orr, he had hoaxed the sighting in order to keep stories about the lizard man in circulation. Mm-hmm. Which, if you believe in the lizard man, you shouldn't have to hoax him. You just got to do something to coax him. <laughs> <laughs> Rhymes. You got mad skills, girl. In 2018, Bishopville had their first ever Lizard Man Festival and Comic Con. So there were dozens of vendors and speakers ranging from local artisans and high-profile cryptozoologists, even ghost hunters. Lyle Blackburn was there. He's the leading Lizard Man documentarian. He talked with South Carolina Public Radio. He says, as far as this case goes, I think it was very much concentrated in a certain time period. And whatever it was or whomever it was moved on or disappeared. Now, the the legend of the lizard man uh, does not only live in South Carolina. There are other reports of lizard men in other places in the country. So it's possible that maybe he was just on vacation, maybe yeah. just popping in. He wanted to visit a different swamp. Lyle Blackburn has a book called Lizard Man, The True Story of the Bishopville Monster. It's very highly rated on Amazon. Is you it? can check it out. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Uh, he, he uh, you said that like you were amazed. <laughs> wow. He does real good. <laughs> uh, he even had access to the files belonging to the former sheriff, uh, Truesdale, who treated the reports of a lizard man with as much care as he did other investigations. And that's something that 
Lyle Blackburn sees as evidence to the lizard man's existence. Interesting. He said he's the closest thing to an expert on the elusive cryptid. And for many people, his assessment carries weight. So how many years have these sightings been going on for? It was pretty much focused in the late 80s. That was pretty much it. And there hasn't been anything there recently? There have been a couple th- things okay. here and there. Yeah. Nothing really substantiated. Nothing that's garnered the same kind of attention. Not everyone is so believing, though. Of course, uh, people want to get to the bottom of it. And there are those that believe that Christopher Davis, who did take a lie detector test regarding mm. his test, Testimony. Um, that test, they claim, was administered by the marketing company that was arranging public appearances uh, for him okay. so that that can't be trusted. It doesn't preclude it, but it certainly doesn't... Uh... Yeah. There's not it doesn't help with the credibility factor. Exactly. Bishopville local Robert Howell, who is an artist who had uh, work featured at the Lizard convention, Mm -hmm. said, no matter who you are, it's part of the local folklore now. It might not be the way Bishopville chose to get on the map. (laughs) They probably would rather have someone living here who got a Nobel Peace Prize. But hey, Bishopville, home of the lizard man. What's wrong with that? I don't see anything wrong with it. In fact, I applaud you, Bishopville residents. Yes. I think that we should we should try to make it to a few of these local oh legend yeah. comic cons. Like Right. I would love to go to this Lizard Man festival. Oh, that would be that would be great. And I we also, can go to the Frozen Guy yeah, Festival. Yeah, the, the Frozen Dead Guy Festival yep. in uh, in Colorado. We'll go to the Circleville Pumpkin Festival. I can't wait for this lockdown to end. <laughs> We've wanna... got festivals to go to. <laughs> Oh, also, like, uh, the big hot pretzels. Like, I want a big, hot, salty pretzel, <laughs> and you, I, I can't get one of those around here. <sighs> and now, that thing in the middle. For today's thing in the middle, Google has released several times some of their weirdest Google searches. <laughs> and so we thought we'd do a thing in the middle where we present to you some of the auto-filled Google searches that people have searched. Number five, is it healthy to... Drink your own urine? No, it's not. Number four, our pets... Heads are falling off. What? Why Why would somebody Google that? You just need to go to the vet. What? Number three, are there people who... Are sexually attracted to Pokemon? Apparently. <laughs> apparently there are. Number two, why does... My mom turned me on, paging Dr. Freud. <laughs> and number one, does your... Virginity grow back? Yeah, there you have it. These are actual <laughs> questions that people apparently asked enough so that the algorithm at Google draws that in as a possible question that you might want to ask. It's very upsetting. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app. 
made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save. Thanks Aura Frames for bringing my family a little bit closer. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We didn't grow up wanting to be the curator. It just kind of happened. Now more of The Box of Oddities. A couple episodes ago, you talked about how your stepmom 
wasn't a very good uh, cook. And when she would burn something, she would just tell you it was uh, chocolate. Chocolate, whatever that thing was. Yeah, like I burned the grilled cheese. It's a chocolate grilled cheese. Correct. And uh, Part Sage wrote, Oh, Kat, your stepmom burned food. So did my mom. Before microwaves, she'd invariably burn a pan of frozen peas. You know, the, the water would boil off and, oh, got it. and the peas would, would burn. The funny thing is, she called them black-eyed peas. <laughs> I didn't realize till I was much older that those are not real black-eyed peas. <laughs> when a restaurant serves black-eyed peas, you're like, why? No. No, you, these aren't burned. Stop that. Your mom had a recipe that you've talked about a couple of times yeah. that I can't, just can't get over. It was like a cheese sandwich casserole, <laughs> she called it. And and how you made that was you would take like the, the worst white bread, like Wonder Bread mm-hmm. that you could find and you'd put processed cheese slices in it like a like a like a cheese sandwich. Mm-hmm. Then you would lay them in a casserole dish end to end, cover it with milk and then burn it in the oven. Wet cheese slog. Yeah, no part of it makes sense. Interestingly, though, it's the perfect environment for a lizard man to exist in. Maybe that's why they're so angry. I know I was. If you'd like to uh, send us uh, an email, curator at theboxofoddities.com. And of course, we're all over the social meds. Right. uh, We have that recipe available for you and we can share it (laughs) if you want. Probably not. But I tell you what we we can share is uh, a picture of my 1980s hair. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's going to happen. All right. I got something to talk to you about today, which is good because that's why we're here. Mm. Well, the newsreels were rolling on June 4th, 1913, when Emily Davison, protesting as a member of the Women's Social and Political Union, ran out onto the racetrack during the 1913 horse derby in Epsom, Surrey. She ran in front of Anmer which was King George V's horse, ridden by Herbert Jones. She was struck by the horse and died four days later. Now, please don't ruin this for me, because this is this woman's, like, hero level. Are you going to... I'm not going to ruin it. Okay, go ahead. For decades, she's been called a martyr, throwing herself in front of the king's horse and dying to raise awareness for women's rights and to advance the suffragette movement. She had attempted suicide once before. Did you know this? I did not. She said she thought that the taking of her own life would be the best way to draw attention to women's rights. Oh, okay. And the newsreel footage of her being trampled by the horse is available on YouTube. But, it's terrible. But warning, yeah, it's it's pretty grim. In fact, there are three different angles of it. They had three newsreels going at the same time from different angles. It's, it's wow. So Emily Wilding Davidson was born in 1872, an English suffragette who fought for votes for women in Britain. In the early 20th century, she was a member of the aforementioned Women's Social and Political Union, according to Wikipedia, and a militant fighter for her cause. She was arrested nine times. Wow. She went on a hunger strike seven times and was forced fed on 49 occasions while she was uh, on hunger strike and while she was locked up. She was a staunch feminist and a passionate Christian and considered that socialism was a moral and political force for good. Much of her life has been interpreted through the manner of her death, which was jumping in front of this horse, the king's horse of all horses, and dying. She gave no prior explanation for what she had planned to do at the Derby and the uncertainty of her motives and intentions has affected the way that she's been judged by history. Sure. 
As I mentioned, she was pretty militant in the sense that she was constantly being arrested. Just to kind of give you an idea of uh, some of the things that she did. In March of 1909, she was arrested for the first time. She had been part of a uh, deputation of 21 women who marched from Caxton Hall to see the prime minister. The march ended in a fracas with the police. She was arrested for assaulting the police in the process of execution of their duty. She was sentenced to a month in prison. After her release, she wrote to uh, Votes for Women. I can't not think of Mary Poppins. Votes for women! (laughs) Votes for women! She said that uh, through, quote, through my humble work in this noblest of causes, I have come into a fullness of job and an interest in living, which I never before experienced. In July of 1909, Davison was arrested with fellow suffragettes Mary Lee and Alice Paul for interrupting a public meeting for which women were barred. (laughs) It was held by Chancellor David Lloyd George. Uh, She was sentenced to two months for obstruction. And then she went on a hunger strike. During that time, she lost 21 pounds. She was arrested again that same year, 1909, for throwing rocks to break windows at political meetings. Uh, The assembly, which was a protest at the uh, 1909 budget, was only open to men. So she would go to these men's only political meetings and uh, throw rocks at the windows. (laughs) (laughs) That's no. Yeah. 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 She wrote to the Manchester Guardian to justify her action of throwing rocks as one, quote, which was meant as a warning to the general public of the personal risk they run in in the future if they go to cabinet ministry meetings anywhere. She went on to write that uh, this was justified because the unconstitutional action of cabinet members uh, in addressing public meetings from which a large section of the public is excluded. She was serious. Yeah. I'm not going to go through every time she was arrested, but she was mostly arrested for um, throwing rocks, for storming meetings that women weren't allowed into. Mm-hmm. And when she, when she was locked up, then she would go on these these hunger strikes and right. they would force. I, I saw a picture of what it was like when they were force feeding people um, during hunger strikes in those days. Following the fir- first episode of forced feeding and to prevent a repeat of the experience, Davison barricaded herself in her cell using her bed and a stool and refused to allow uh, prison authorities to enter. She broke one of the window panes from the sill. They then turned a fire hose on her for 15 minutes while attempting to force the door open. By the time the door was opened, the cell was six inches deep in water. She was taken to the prison hospital. They warmed her up with hot water bottles. She was force-fed shortly after that. She then, in in January of 1910, sued the prison authorities and was awarded 40 shillings in damages. Wow. Obviously, this woman, in, in my mind, is badass. And I am like, yes, these are things that you need to be doing. But so often our uh, vision or I, our ideas about whether or not these grand gestures and sometimes violent gestures are ever appropriate. And, you know, looking back on, you know, in history, it's okay to say, like, this was okay, or that was not okay. But when it's happening, like, in today's world, it's so hard to um, find that common ground, because you don't know, you know, people, there are those that would say, like, violence is never okay. However, um, without violence, would we have made the strides that we did during the civil rights movement? Would the right people have noticed that that as m- many people in the country were uh, unsatisfied with the way that things were going? You know, so, 
you know, my my answer right offhand is almost always going to be like, no, violence is never the answer. But then you hear stories like this and it's like, well, shit, sometimes you have to, you know, ruffle the feathers. Yeah. And, and in this case, she would just break windows and, and cause disturbances. In 1911, they were taking the 1911 census on April 2nd. And uh, she didn't want to participate in the census. She wanted to use that as a as a protest. She hid in a cupboard in St. Mary Undercroft, the chapel of the Palace of Winchester. She remained hidden overnight to avoid being entered into the census. The attempt was part of a wider suffragette action to avoid being listed by the state. She was found by a cleaner who reported her presence. She was arrested again, but she was not charged this time. I had heard about that, which I think is amazing. <laughs> then she went on to like burn mailboxes. That was that was her, you know. Well, if if women aren't counted enough in society to be able to vote, then why does it matter if you count them in the census? I can totally see that. That was the point yeah. that they were making. David's, uh, Davison developed the new tactic of setting fire to post boxes in December 1911. She was arrested for arson on the post box outside of Parliament and admitted to setting a fire in two other locations. Setting fires, okay, no, so nobody was hurt, but now we're starting to get into an area where people could definitely be seriously hurt. True, but at the same time, you're also probably saving some asses because you can be like, oh, no, I totally invited you. It must have gotten burned up <laughs> in the post box yeah, because, yeah. you know. She was sentenced to six months in Holloway prison. She did not go on a hunger strike at first. In June of that year, she and the other suffragette inmates barricaded themselves in their cells and then went on a hunger strike. The authorities broke down the cell doors and force fed them. Mm. As a desperate protest, following the force feeding, Davison decided on what she described as a desperate protest made to put a stop to the hideous torture, which was now our lot. That, of course, a quote. She jumped from one of the interior balconies of the prison and later wrote, as soon as I got out, I climbed on the railing and threw myself out to the wire netting, a distance of between 20 and 30 feet. The idea in my mind was one big tragedy may save many others. I realized that my best means of carrying out my purpose was the iron staircase. When a good moment came, quite deliberately, I walked upstairs and threw myself from the top, as I meant to, on the iron staircase. If I had been successful, I should undoubtedly have been killed." as it was a clear drop of 30 to 40 feet, but I caught on the edge of the netting. I then threw myself forward on my head with all my might. The result was she cracked two vertebrae, was badly injured, and um, that, that injury tortured her for the rest of her life. She was in pain because of that. She said, I did it deliberately and with all of my power because I felt that by nothing but the sacrifice of a human life, would the nation be brought to realize the horrible torture our women face? If I had succeeded, I am sure that forcible feeding could not, in all conscience, have been resorted to again. So, what happened on the racetrack? Because of that attempted suicide, everybody assumed that that was what happened. On, on June 4th, mm -hmm. 1913, Davison obtained two flags bearing the uh, suffragette colors of purple, white, and green, and then traveled by train to Epsom, Surrey to attend the Derby. She positioned herself at the Tattenham Corner, the final bend before the home straight. At this point in the race, with some of the horses having passed her, she ducked under the guardrail and ran onto the course. 
It appears as though she held up her hands and reached up to the reins of Anmer, which again was King George V's horse, ridden by Herbert Jones. She was hit by the animal, which would have been going about 35 miles an hour or 56 kilometers per hour. Anmer fell in the collision and partly rolled over the jockey who had his foot momentarily caught in the stirrup, which is a horrifying thought. Mm. Davison was knocked to the ground unconscious. Some reports say she was kicked in the head by the horse, but the surgeon who operated on her uh, later said that there was no evidence that she had uh, been, been kicked in the head by the horse. Bystanders rushed onto the track and attempted to aid Davison and Jones until both were taken to nearby Epsom Cottage. She was operated on, and on June 8th, she died from a fracture at the base of her skull. Now, Jones, the jockey, suffered a concussion and other injuries. He spent the evening of June 4th in the hospital before returning home the following day. He could recall little of the event. Quote, she seemed to clutch at my horse, and I felt it strike her. He recovered sufficiently to race Anmer, who had no injuries at all. Oh, good at Ascot Racecourse two weeks later. So because of the way that she was approaching and reaching, do they think that her intention was not for the horse to kill her? It appeared as though there was a theory, because it looks like she's reaching for the horse's reins, that she was trying to pull the horse down. As I mentioned, newsreel cameras were rolling when this happened and captured for all time the incident. Of course, in 1913, film technology was in its infancy, and there was only so much that could be learned by studying the films. But in 2013, a Channel 4 documentary in the UK used forensic examiners who digitized the original nitrate film from the three camera angles, and then they digitally cleaned and examined the film. According to The Guardian, Claire Balding, who was the presenter for the show, and investigators Stephen Cole and Mike Dixon returned to the original nitrate film stock taken on the day and then transferred them to digital format. This was done so they could uh, be cleaned and so that new software could cross-reference the three different camera angles mm -hmm. for the documentary, which was called Secrets of a Suffragette. They said, quote, it is hugely significant as a moment in history, a moment that absolutely sums up the desperation of women in this country who wanted to vote. What they discovered changed the whole narrative of her death. Their examination suggests that Davidson was not trying to throw herself in front of the horse. She was not trying to pull the horse down. She was trying to hang the suffragette flag around the neck of the horse or attach it to his bridle. And I went and I looked at the digitally restored um, footage. That's exactly what she's doing. Yeah. She ducks under the rail. Most of the horses go by. She actually steps to the far side or the right side of the horse as it goes by. You can see her reaching up with a banner in her hand, a flag so in her like hand. A, like a sash? It's like kind a sash. Okay. She was trying to lasso it around the horse's head. Yeah. And then the horse hit her. Back in 2011, the horse racing historian Michael Tanner argued that uh, Davidson was standing in crowds on the inside of the bend at uh, Tatting, Tattenham Corner, it would have been impossible for her to see the king's horse. So they were saying that uh, he was implying that maybe she was just trying to run out on the track and hold the flag up. Mm -hmm. But the cross-referencing between the cameras revealed that Davidson was closer to the start of the corner than thought. So she had a great line of sight. In this position, she could have seen and singled out the king's horse. So it was her intention to run out on the track time it so that she could put this sash around the racing horse's mm. neck. 
That horse is going so fast, girl. Historians have found out, too, according to the documentary, that Davison and other suffragettes were seen practicing at grabbing horses in the park near her mother's house. Oh. And that uh, they drew lots to determine who was going to the Derby. Her funeral was on uh, the 14th of June. 1913, it was organized by the uh, WSPU. A procession of 5,000 suffragettes and their supporters accompanied her coffin, and 50,000 people lined the route through London. Her coffin was then taken by train to the family plot in Morpeth, Northumberland. Several years later, at the funeral of the leading suffragette Emmeline Pankhurst in 1928, the jockey who had ridden Anmer that day, Herbert Jones, Mm -hmm. laid a wreath, quote, to do honor to the memory of Mrs. Pankhurst and Miss Emily Davison. Jones had suffered a mild concussion in 1913 during the collision, but afterwards claimed he was haunted by that poor woman's face. In 1951, his son found Jones dead in a gas-filled kitchen. He had died by suicide. Was there any indication that... Part that he suffered because of post traumatic stress. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because he felt so bad about it. But at the same time, I mean, there was nothing he could have done about that. No. At the same time, even though he suffered and felt guilty because it, the horse he was riding ran over this woman, he in turn picked up the suffragette cause. He was outspoken for oh. women's rights throughout his life. So, story is a little bit different than the one that comes down to us about how she bravely. Threw herself in front of a horse to give her life, to bring light to women's rights and the right to vote for for women. But it doesn't, it in no way lessens the importance of what she did, nor the bravery that it took to do. Right, she knew that this wasn't a safe thing to be doing. No, I mean, at the very least, she was going to get arrested and force-fed. Which apparently wasn't too much fun. It sounds terrible. Yeah, so there you go. And and as I said, the, the video is available on YouTube, as well as the enhanced version from Channel 4 in the UK, Mm. um, where you can clearly see, I mean, it's zoomed in, it's digitally crisper. You can see her. Watch the horses go by. The King's Horse is one of the last horses in the race. Most of the horses go by. She was positioned on the inside of the track, and you can clearly see her holding this flag. She ducks under the railing. The other horses go by. She runs out onto the track, so she's on the other side of the king's horse, on the right side, and then holds this up and hopes to loop it around the horse's neck. The horse hit her, and you know the horse goes down, the jockey goes down. She, of course, is trampled. It's, it's pretty horrible, but it's an important part of history and um, the suffragette movement. And then suffrage in Britain was... In 1918, Parliament voted to allow women the right to vote in England. And you can bet that that played a huge part in it. The end. I have no good way to end this. Well, that was a bummer. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, obviously, you know, there there are often sacrifices that we have to make uh, in society for a greater good. And it's... It's terrible sometimes that people feel like they have to go to these, you know, incredible extremes extremes in order to be seen and heard and understood. Well, I I read that uh, the year before there was a a parade, a demonstration uh, where women would march for their right to vote. And it wasn't there weren't that many women, you know, maybe maybe 50, 100, something like that. 
And then it increased, it increased as time went on. But after this happened, there were something like 50,000 people marching. Wow. So it's horrible. It's tragic. But the end result was what she was trying to do, which was allow women the right to vote. Well done, sister suffragette. Oh, I wanted to mention before we uh, wrap this up, uh, the Box of Oddities, we're in the process of moving to a new server host. And so there have been a couple of glitches and hiccups, uh, nothing serious. But if uh, the episode doesn't show up on your phone exactly the moment that it usually does, have patience. It will uh, it will hit there eventually. And uh, we've got some older episodes which are blinking on and off. And, you know, I was listening and then I couldn't listen. And or it's it will be smooth sailing again shortly. We appreciate you guys hanging out with us so much. Thank you for the for the reviews that we've received. If you want to, uh, if you haven't had a chance to do that yet, uh, leaving a, a positive review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen just helps us grow the show. Yes, thank you for the support, for the reviews, and for the slippers. Yeah, somebody sent cat pug slippers. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so... Let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.